Well, good morning. Good to see all of God's beloved here today. If we've not met yet, my name is Ken, and I am the pastor of Crosswinds Church. And I want you to know whether you're young or old, or you're black or white or yellow or brown, whether you're a conservative, whether you're a liberal, whether you're educated or uneducated, whether you identify as gay, straight, bi, or something else, whether you're a woman or a man, or that is complex to you, whether you love Jesus or whether you're not sure about him yet, I want you to know that this is a place today where you will be loved. You know, the Bible commands us to speak the truth in love. And my hope is to do both of those today. But before I get into that topic, I want to give some praise to all of our youth leadership. Uh, We had about 30, I couldn't count them, they're just all over, about 30 uh, fifth through 12th graders overnight, Friday night, for all kinds of water fun, games, worship, hanging out, eating lots of junk food. My system is trashed. Um, youth ministry is probably what I am least gifted for, but I love our youth, and they are so important, and I want them to know everything good in Christ. But thankfully, we had a great team of leaders taking care of our youth. Abdu. Uh, did an amazing job bringing a message and just being with the kids. Cleone did a great job um, chaperoning a whole bunch of girls through, through the night. She has had no sleep. And um, uh, Jason did a wonderful job as a chaperone. And Natasha and Emil led us in worship. And, and Charnay was a chaperone. And Eric did everything to serve the event and make things happen from barbecuing food and, and talking to kids. And Nigel did the same thing. And, and Jennifer was here and got thrown into the mix of everything and got wet and, and was loving on the kids. And Kathy, my wife, worked hard showing uh, her love by, uh, and commitment to the students by taking care of background details. And I, I, I feel so blessed um, to all those wonderful friends I just mentioned in our church, willing to sacrifice their time and their talent and their treasure for what God treasures the kids of this world. And we are in the last message today of the Hot Topic series, where you asked me to share what God's Word says about different questions that the congregation have asked. And today's topic is one of the hardest topics to speak truth on in love in our culture today. Today's question is, why are gay relationships such a taboo when all people sin in other ways? And that is a great question, but even how the question is phrased can get you into trouble in a heartbeat. And what I would like to say first is same-sex relationships are not taboo in our uh, current culture. They are normative, but they're often taboo in the culture of many churches and religious organizations. And this word such implies that we, the church, see the sin of sex between um, two people of the same sex as somehow worse than sex between consenting adults of the opposite sex, which is untrue biblically. The Bible does not rate one above the other in terms of sinfulness. There are actually more verses dealing with opposite sex sexual sin than same-sex sexual sin. We believe the Bible teaches that God has a design for every aspect of our lives. And his design is not homosexuality, nor is it heterosexuality. It's something called holy sexuality. Sexuality, our sexuality is to be used for his holy purposes, not for selfishly gratifying our own. 
God has a design for sex to operate in a specific way between a man and a woman in his covenant in marriage. Um, now, in our country today, could somebody get me some water? Same-sex uh, marriage is legal in our secular society. And, and personally, because that helps better care for people, I, I think there should be a, a, a legal thing to it for medical rights and, and other things. But it, that is not a biblical marriage or, or one that God would affirm between a man and a woman in marriage. The question was, why are gay relationships taboo? Friends, relationships between those of the same sex are not taboo. For men to love men, there are many men in this room that I love, and, and for women to love women is commanded. It, it is the oldest principle, it's the oldest principle in God's word, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love anybody is not taboo. We are commanded to love. But here's the problem. Our culture teaches us that love is sex. And that, that it's the natural outcome of, of two people who love each other that they have to have sex. A, a euphemism we have for sex is often making love. And friends, often sex has nothing to do with love for either of the people involved in it, whether they're same-sex attracted or opposite attracted. There are four ways most of us look at sex in our culture. One, it's gross. Those are usually people that have been hurt or abused by the misuse or the religious that only see it maybe as evil. And, and sex becomes something dirty and shameful or taboo. But for others, though, another G word, it's their God. It's, it's the thing that they value the most. The, the pursuit of it is on their mind all the time. It's their highest value that they're trying to achieve. And the biblical position is that sex is a gift. Another G word, given to man in the covenant of a biblical marriage, given to man and woman for the pleasure and for intimacy and to fulfill God's purpose in the world. As a gift, it blesses everyone. It becomes the cornerstone of our whole society, making our whole society better. But if we selfishly treat it as God for our own pleasure, we actually are tearing down society. Now, the fourth word I added this week, I usually always talked about three, is group. Today, it is, it is a way we define our group or our tribe. Uh, the question asks, why are gay relationships but there are a lot of tribes today out there besides gay. There's gay and there's straight and there's lesbian and there's bisexual and there's transgender and there's queer and there's a lot more. These tribes culturally war against one another. And today there's an alliance of the LGBTQ for social and political purposes. But even each of them identifying in a different way is warring against each other. Even some of the words we use of our tribe are a lie. They mislead. The label gay seems to imply happiness in our sexual freedom. The word straight seems to imply moral superiority, like I'm straight, I'm right. But friends, neither are true. Neither are true. Sexual freedom does not equate to happiness in life for anybody. I know many gay and straight people that are unhappy. 
And I know many morally bankrupt people who define themselves as heterosexual. Many who identify as LBGTQ would consider Christians hateful towards them. But friends, I, I don't hate anybody, even people who betray me. Hate is opposite of what Jesus taught me and taught us and, and, and what his life was lived for. Friends, I don't hate. What I love is truth. And, and Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and the only way to God. And, and you don't enter a relationship with God through your tribe, no matter what tribe it is. No, no tribe of man has superiority over another tribe. And for one tribe of us to abuse any other tribe or group would be hated by God. True Christians do not hate those that are same-sex attracted. We are called to love all people. And Jesus, when he preached, didn't mention any sexual tribes in a derogatory way. He simply stated the truth in Scripture about holy sexuality. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries, this is from Luke uh, chapter 16, verse 18, and marries his wife, uh, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, I'm not going to talk about divorce today. That's another, but what he's really speaking of is sexual immorality. He, and he's basically saying the same thing in all four of the Gospels, Luke 16, 18, Mark 10, 11 through 12, and Matthew 4, 4 through 6. And in Matthew 4, he, he defines a little more. He says this, Have you not read that in the beginning God created them and made them male and female? And he said to him, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are neither now no, no longer one, but two uh, become one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. In his response to the religious conservatives of his day, the Pharisees, the ones who were being sexually immoral by divorcing their wife for any reason at all. She didn't please him. She doesn't good looking enough. They burned her bagel or they burned his bagel. The man could just divorce her, just write a certificate of divorce. So they could have heterosexually sexually approved sex with another woman under their law, which Jesus was saying is garbage. They were being sexually immoral. And, and, and Jesus is referencing his father's definition of holy sexuality in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God is using perfect pronouns here for the truth of how we all were created by him. And after my, God created mankind, he put us into his design, which was called marriage, between a man and a woman. And it says this, and therefore the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Biblical marriage is a covenant before God of oneness between a man and a woman where sex is holy, it's a good thing, and it's used for his purposes. Now Jesus doesn't talk against the same-sex attractive person. Instead, he stands for God's definition of holy sexuality. See, the Bible would say that any sex outside the covenant of marriage is sexually immoral. And, and the next part of the question states a biblical truth, the question that was asked. All people sin in many ways. 
And in a sense, what they're asking is, why do we make such a big deal about sex with the same sex when we all sin in many ways? So there is truth there. All sin is equally taboo according to God's word. It's a departure from God's design for each of us. And so the passage I'll be looking at today uh, to help us understand this question better is from God's word. It's from Romans chapter 1, if you want to open to it. And in verse 26 through 27, the apostle Paul clearly says man's sins by having sex with the same sex. He clearly lays it out. I'm not even going to read that part right now. But he also says this afterwards. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, with evil, with covetousness, with malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, they are slanders, they are haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And that's not said of same-sex attracted people, but to all people. All people. All these sins are a departure from God's design, and they are equally sinful. All sin is taboo for each of us because all sin carries with it the eternal death penalty according to God's word. But, but what causes all this sin? Romans one twenty eight says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. See, humanity is all of one tribe. We're all part of one tribe. Those who depart from God. That's our tribe. We ignore his will, and we try to do our own thing. Anytime, whether same-sex attracted or opposite-set attractors do something against design, we are in sin. And he says twice in the Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When we depart from God's design of holy sexuality, we are doing something leading to our death. No matter how good, no matter how right it feels, that is what is true according to God's word. The lie of our culture today is to tell us if something feels good, that makes it good for us. If it, if it feels good, if it feels like love, it's good for us. Love equals love is terrible theology. It is basically saying what we love to do makes it good or right. If I loved having sex with my sister, then that makes it good. Love equals love. If I love having sex with an animal, that makes it good. Love equals love. If I love having sex with a woman that's not my wife, it's good. Love equals love. If I love having sex with men more than women, that makes it good. Love equals love. The Bible says God is love, not the other way around. So he defines, it's his design of what love is, not our feelings and our attractions. Those do not define what love is. See, God defines when sex is good or right. Not us. Any other definition is evil in a man or woman's heart. Because today, romance is said to be what makes sex is good. If, if, if people love each other, God says obedience is what makes sex good. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, Genesis 1.28. God blesses sexual activity 
that has the potential to multiply his purposes in the world. Sex outside of a biblical marriage brings pain, it brings curses, it brings shame to mankind. When we were created, we were naked. We had no sin and no shame. But we have made sex gross by our sin, not God. He invented sex for good, and it is a gift. I want you to look closely at what Paul has to say in Romans 1, 16 through 25. For I, he starts this way, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. Pam, Paul was a man who was known for being single. He says that once in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, it's better for unmarried widows to stay unmarried as I am. And how can being unmarried and not having sex be better when everything in the world tells us the opposite. Because fulfillment is life, in this life, unlike what the culture teaches, is not found in sex, but in a relationship with God. Sex is a powerful idol that we can worship that will lead us from God. Paul's conservative Jewish culture, there was much shame for him in being single. It was considered dutiful to have children for God to be fruitful and multiply. But Paul is not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus had died for both the same sex attracted and the opposite sex attracted who, who fall into sin. He, Jesus took the death penalty for them. And then he proved it three days later by, by walking out of the tomb alive again, promising that all who believe in him will have forgiveness and everlasting life instead of everlasting death in their sin. The gospel was the main thing in Paul's life, not sex. And, and through it, even this single man could be fruitful and multiply the heavenly children of God without ever having sex. And so Paul calls for chastity in singleness and fidelity in marriage. That is the holy use of this gift of sex that God gave us. And Paul is speaking for salvation to people, all people, who think very differently about sex. The, the religious conservative Jews were there, and also the liberally sexual Greeks. And, and they both thought differently about sex. Both cultures had ideas about it that were far from God's design and were sexually immoral because of it. And they would condemn each other. Today, many heterosexuals who cohabitate condemn same-sex attracted people. And Paul and the Bible would say they, say they are sexually immoral in their own behavior and hypocrites in their judgment and condemnation of the other. The gospel is not for just same-sex attracted people or just opposite-sex attracted people. Paul says it is for all people. First, for the Jews, because they had God's word or design given to them by God. And then for the Greeks whom God loved and wanted to know about his love. In Greek and Roman culture in the first century, homosexuality was accepted. It was even celebrated in some circles, more than it is in our culture today. They had laws to protect the rights of same-sex couples. Prostitution was legal and regulated. Adultery was illegal but tolerated. It was not uncommon for married couples to have open relationships. There was also a thriving culture of erotica and pornography. 
their sexual norms were much more permissive than our culture today. This is what Paul is preaching his gospel for all people into. And Paul is saying the gospel is for the Greeks and the Jews, opposite cultures as far as sexual abuse. The gospel was higher than sexual attraction. It was also higher than your group or your tribe. Paul said this in Galatians 3.28, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, their society, though, was fractioned into all kinds of these little groups and tribes that they found a false identity in. Sexual practice, friends, is not our identity, according to God's word. The Bible defines you as something higher, much higher, made in the very image of God. And the gospel is something that's meant to restore that image because all of our sin has corrupted it. Now, if you consider yourself gay or straight, that probably feels like your identity because of culture. All your friends are probably part of that group or, or the other group. All the people you do business with are often part of that group or, or the other group. Even maybe the people that you kind of like and have affinity with are part of that group. But God's word says you are part of one group made in the image of God, which is higher than your sexual attraction. You know, I used to say to my children, you are not who you think you are. And you are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. But here's the problem. We all listen more to our own voice, our, our feelings and emotion, and also the voice of other people more than we listen to God. Now, you can pick any letter you want from the alphabet to describe yourself. And there might be a few left. I don't know. But friends, that's not your identity. That's not who you are. Behavior or what you do does not create who you are. Paul says this next, for it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness is imparted to us by faith. All identifying groups are ways that seem right to man, but lead to death. The way to life is faith in the truth. The righteous shall live by faith. Those who are righteous before God are not those with correct sexual practices, but those who have faith in God as their designer. So, some, some gay people will say, God made me this way. I can't help whom I'm attracted to. And you know, that's true. A same-sex attracted person um, does have the right, or I, I want to say this right, a same-sex attracted person is, is attracted to something just like I'm attracted to something. Much of what attracts us as human beings is not good or not God's design. See, there's a lot of food and food quantities that I'm attracted to, like all the junk food we had for the youth, and I was sick afterwards. They don't help me live. If I live by what I'm attracted to, it'll bring death to me sooner. You know, there's a lot of alcoholic drinks that I'm attracted to. That doesn't mean they're helping me to live or live better. Science would say that they're helping my cells to die. 
The Bible says we are all tempted or attracted in many ways. Attraction is not sin. Just like temptation is not sin, it is what we do with that temptation. Emotions are not sin. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. So we're not in sin by having feelings or emotion. But we can sin by acting on them. If you're same-sex attracted, that does not make you more of a sinner than anybody else. You may be a more moral person in other areas of your life than other people. But if you're sexually active with the same sex, that's an immorality leading to your spiritual death, according to the Bible. The righteous live by faith in what God has said. I personally have no problem understanding same-sex attracted people. They're just people like me with a different attraction. Just as my own attractions can lead me to death, so do theirs. But, but here's the problem right now in our culture. If I say they're in sin, I'm a hater. If I say that they're in sin, I'm a hater. Would you call someone a hater who says to an alcoholically attracted person that their sin might kill them physically or, or lead to the death of some other innocent person through them driving intoxicated? No, you wouldn't call that person a hater. That would actually be love. You would just be speaking the truth to them about their struggle. But today, to, to speak to the same-sex attracted person and telling them that their attraction is a sin that could lead to their spiritual death is considered hate. For that matter, to tell an opposite attracted person who's engaging in pornography, cohabitation, sexual permissiveness, that it could lead to their spiritual death is also considered hate. You're judging them. No. No. I'm loving them. Sometimes God gives us a warning about what is dangerous. Here's a problem in our culture. The same-sex attracted person is being told, it's okay, be who you are. Friends, which is a lie that brings about death. Speaking like this might be making you, some of you angry. Why? Because I'm not speaking the truth in what I'm saying? Why are you getting angry? If you saw 10 people drinking at a bar, do you know how you know who the alcoholic is? Go take away their alcohol. And you will know who the alcohol is or the alcoholic is the one get, that gets the angriest with you for taking away the alcohol. The same is true of the same-sex attracted person and the opposite-sex attracted person. There's a lot of anger unleashed on Christians because they feel like we're taking something from them. To take away sex brings a fight. So to avoid a fight, many Christians and many churches say, it's okay, just do what you want. Be gay. And they say that that's a loving thing to do, to tell people, just be you. But Jesus didn't tell us to just be you. He said, we must be born again to stop being us. I'm thankful that God stopped me from being me. I was making a mess of life. We need to stop being us, driven by our sin. And we need to become something new, something higher. Some churches, they are lying about what God has said to avoid a fight and, and to appear in the world's eyes more loving. 
Paul loves all people. He's starting his gospel out this way, and, and so do I. And he's in the city of Rome, which is more sexually decadent than any city in the world at this time. And he's there because he loves them. He's walking into prison. And so when you love people, you have to go there and you need to tell them the truth of their condition before God. And this is what Paul says about our condition before God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is angry with all of our sin equally. Every time we depart from his design, his wrath is provoked. Why? Why? Because he's just mean? No. Because sin damages the people he loves. Not because of sex. He gave us sex as a gift because he loves us. But we choose to use that gift unrighteously and we harm other with it. You know, sex is often referred to by the culture as a victimless crime between consenting adults. And who can say anything about it? You know, if two adults were killing each other, would you say that that was a victimless crime? But that's exactly what is happening in sex outside of God's design for marriage. They're killing each other. Would, would victims of sexual assault say it's a victimless crime? Would men and women abused by the lust of their partner say it's victimless? Would people forced into pornography or sexual slavery say that it's victimless? Come on. But you say, you know, we, we love each other. We, we, we just love each other. Well, then why are you making yourself a victim or them a victim? Get married or be celibate if you love them. Oh, I, I want to be free to be me. No, God wants better for you than to be you. You're, you're going to die forever if you don't repent, which means change how you think and who you are. Notice, notice what happens. Who by their righteousness suppress the truth. Friends, we all lie to ourselves about the nature of what we are doing. We rationalize it. We tell ourselves rational lies. Oh, we love each other. I deserve freedom to do whatever I want with my body. This is who I am. I can't change. I'm not hurting anybody. I just can't help myself. Those are all rational lies, rational lies that we tell each other. And, and we tell those whether we're same-sex attracted or opposite-sex attracted. We tell those lies to ourselves. And what we're doing is we're suppressing the truth of what God has said or defined. We make rational lies. Friends, sex is not the problem. What has always been the problem is our departure from what God has said. Churches that are accepting are doing this right now. They're departing from God's word. Maybe they think it's to be compassionate, but what they're actually doing is they're suppressing the truth. People who are affirm same-sex relationships are suppressing the truth that God spoke. Maybe as a rational, rational lie. Anything that they're doing outside of 
God's design for marriage is somehow justified. You know, people who are silent about it are also suppressing the truth. And there's a big move in the church right now to, to change God's word, just rewrite it to fit the cultural norms in the name of compassion. But that is all unrighteousness that suppresses the truth. Beloved, what are we saved by? The truth. The truth. Belief in God's word. We are not saved by believing in God. We are saved by believing God in what he has said. By believing God in what he has said. The truth is we all have departed from God's design and we deserve his wrath and judgment. But because of his great mercy and his great love for us, he sent his own son to satisfy his own wrath and his own body that we might be saved. And if we are believing that truth, then we are saved. That we are believing that he rose again, proving that his, his nature of God, the sinless nature of God, then we are saved. But the Bible says this, if we say we have no sin, and that's, that's exactly what the sexually immoral are saying today, we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Gay pride is a dangerous delusion our cultural, culture is practicing right now. A man having an affair with his wife or against his wife is not in a parade down the street celebrating it. Saying that it's all okay. Friends, one sin is not worse than the other. But one right now is thinking there is no need of repentance. The other is still feeling a little bit of shame, which might lead them to repentance. Sex, friends, is a powerful idol to all humans that suppresses the truth by which we are set free from the bondage of our sin and that we are given eternal life. You may say, well, I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. Paul says to both the Greeks and the Jew Jews, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. See, knowing God's design for life does not take a theological training. It doesn't, according to Paul. God has shown us what is right. He's shown us what is sin. It is plain and simple. Even a, a child can understand it. Just look at the complexity of creation out there. And, and you can see that God has this amazing design for it. Just look at the animals he created. There's a design for male and female coming together to create more of their species. There are a few species that reproduce asexually, but the majority of the species do it sexually. And if a species stops doing what God has designed for them, they die. They die out. And, and Paul continues his word. He says, For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The Jews had God's word, and the Greeks did not. It didn't matter. The basic nature of God was evident to both. He says, it was clearly perceived. People say there are 50 shades of gray. 50 shades of gray. Truth is relative. No, it's kind of black and white. 
If your rational lie leaves you in the gray, you're going to die eternally. Life is found in the light, in the truth of the Son of God who died because he loves you for your sin, no matter what you're attracted to. You are without excuse if you blame your attraction. Eve was attracted to being God. Adam let his sexy wife be his God, and he stayed silent when he should have stood up. Both were thrown out of the garden because they obeyed what they were attracted to instead of God. They had no excuse, and neither do you. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you, know, do you notice something here? They knew God. We all know there's a God, whether we're suppressing that truth or not. There's a God. Friends, the greatest sin, the most unpardonable sin, is not who you have slept with, whether same sex or opposite sex. It's knowing that God created you and ignoring his word to you. Not honoring his role as God and creator. That it is his design, not yours. If you say, God made a mistake in making me, can the clay say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Did he make a mistake in making me a man or a woman? If, if you're asking that question, are you honoring God as God and designer? If you say, God has made me this way, I'm attracted uh, to the same sex, so his design is wrong. Are you honoring him as God? If my feelings create my own reality instead of God, do we honor him as God? No, we deny him. We, we reject his rule in our lives. Our thinking is off. The truth is not in us. The root sin here is not sex. I, this is so important that everybody understands. It's not drinking. It's not greed. It's not hatred. It's not lying. It's pride trying to be our own God. We become futile in our thinking. Futile means vain, empty. When truth departs, then all kinds of evil is possible in our heart. You heard that long list I read before. It's not just same-sex sex. Our hearts become darkened. We, we stop worshiping God with an infinite mind, and we really start worshiping this three pounds of grain matter that has maybe 70 or 80 years of experience. Our hearts are darkened. They become bent on evil instead of good. God deserves our honor and our praise for giving us life and breath. The root sin leading to all sin is not sex. It's, it's not honoring and not being grateful to God who gives good things to us all. In verse 22, it says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy things. Claiming to be wise. Who's driving this sexual movement in our country? Who, who's been driving it? College professors. Intellectual elites are those that are thinking that they are smarter than God. You know, our children today, some of them in our church, are, are having to go to school today with a, a pride flag up in their classroom. When I was in school, I didn't want to think anything about sex with my teacher, or not with them, but that they were even having it. It didn't, didn't matter. I, I didn't want to know. Just like you kids don't want to know anything about your parents. They do it. They've done it at least twice if they have two kids. But what I'm saying, so you might be thinking it's gross, right? going to school I have no business thinking about this agenda I don't I don't want to that, that's not 
that's not what, what it's called. But, but to be wise today, we need to teach our kids how to, how, how to have sex. And we take God out of the classroom because sex is our God, culturally. Our wise teachers are, are foolish pushing a sexual agenda on our children. We took God out of the classroom and put sex in. What, what an exchange we have made. Creepy men and women, wise people telling our children how to live. They say, this Bible of yours is an old brick book written by misogynists. Let me tell you how to be wise. Do whatever you want. There's no God. From what I've seen, I was raised by an atheist. It's almost always driven by the desire for sexual freedom. It would be foolish to throw out the design manual for an airplane or a high-performance automobile. Those things were designed to run a certain way, and if you don't pay attention to the design and care for the designer's instruction, eventually you're going to crash. Sex is good. It increases your endorphins, and, and you feel good. But if you just do it outside of God's design, ignoring the designer's instructions, I'm telling you, friends, you're going to crash. Kids, you're going to crash. Here you have all the wisdom of an immortal being that created you. He has all the intelligence of the universe to help you. But instead, you listen to a slippery tongue snake of a boyfriend or girlfriend instead. The human body is the apex of God's creation. So for all of us, it can be a powerful idol, an idol that we can obey more than God. And this is why sexual temptation is so dangerous. The Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Gay sex is no more tabooer than heterosex, but they both destroy what God has ordained to be good, you. Paul says immoral sex is so powerful, it can destroy our own body. Other sins, he says, happen outside our bodies. But, but this sin has the potential to destroy us. And friends, people who love you do not affirm it. They say be free of it. Flee from it. The biblical word, word sexual immorality includes hooking up, cohabitation, homosexual sex, sex with minors, pornography, bestiality, threesomes, etc. If you're having sex outside of God's design for it, then you are worshiping a false god or idol. Instead of your hands in the air to praise God, your ankles are in the air worshiping your partner instead of God. The sin here is trading temporal things for the eternal things of God, which is idolatry. We sometimes snicker at people with their ancient idols of images and animals, but you're doing the same thing with porn and romance novels. Oh, it's not worshiping it. It's entertainment. Well, let me ask you, what would you rather do? Read his word? Watch Netflix? Watch those rom-coms? Or look at pornography? Or read romance novels? What, what do you put more time into? Beloved, has sex become an idol that you worship with your time and your money? And how does God react 
to the disobedient who worship other things. Does he, does he smite them with fire and brimstone when they depart from his design? No. Paul says this. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves. He gives us up. He does not give up on us. He, he gives us up. He allows us to destroy ourselves. He allows us to find out that our lusts all have a hangover. Has your lust for drinking ever given you a hangover? Mine has. Has your lust for shopping ever given you a hangover when you read that statement? Mine has. Has has your lust for the wrong relationship ever destroyed years of your life? God gives you all sexual freedom with the hope that you will recognize that it's a lie before it's too late that you become enslaved to it. What happens to us if we dishonor God with our bodies, using them outside of God's will? We end up using other people, and other people use us, and we use ourselves to gratify our pleasures. Notice Paul says, lust of their hearts. God did not make you this way. Your attractions, hetero or homo, made you lust in your own heart for more than what God has given you when he created you. You were ungrateful to him and did not honor him as your God. And why does this happen? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Who do you serve today? God or your idol or sex? which is an idol. If you fly the pride flag, you're serving sex, not God. You've exchanged truth for a lie, not because same-sex attraction is tabooer than opposite-sex attraction, but because sex is what you're worshiping more than God, our designer. You have believed a lie, and if you continue to believe that lie, it will kill you eternally. Romans 1.31 says, Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Not only them who do them, but those who give approval who practice them. This verse is not saying that there should be any violence done by any of us towards any person or group because of their attraction or their sin. But what it is saying is those And we all know what God has to say. If we continue to practice the opposite, deserve eternal death in hell. For it is not honoring him as God and giving him thanks to do opposite to his will. Notice I used the word practice, or Paul did. It's really important because I know there are people sitting here right now that are feeling conviction or guilt because they have failed God's design sexually. Practice doesn't mean just falling into temptation and, and sinning. Practice means a lifestyle. A falling into a lifestyle. That's choosing a lifestyle that's in opposition to God's design for it. Today, friends, you can repent. Right here, right now. You can choose forgiveness and live. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. God sent his son to fulfill his design perfectly for us, even though we all have failed. 
Even though he was a man like us and he was tempted in every way, he did not sin sexually but remained chaste. He was crucified or, or put to death on a cross even though he was innocent. And God let our sin, this was all God's plan, to be placed on his body, on him. And on the third day, he came alive again and he walked out of the grave to prove the power of his, his promise to us and the power of God that our sin was gone. And today, if you believe in what he has done for you, you will be made white. You will be made a virgin, just as if you have never sinned in God's eye. He just sees you as white. But you must honor Jesus as God and give thanks to him for saving you. In your pride, you can't go back to exchange truth for a lie and live. He loves you. He may have given you up to your desires, but he has not given up on you, and neither have I. There's help to free yourself. Following him will free you from your desires as you learn to live by his design. To be gay is not taboo, friends. To be gay is not taboo, but to reject him as God is. Today, Friends, I want you to just come just as you are. Be, be forgiven and given everlasting life. Exchange lies of our culture for truth today and live. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you don't lie to us, that you love us enough to tell us the truth, that we have all departed from you, that we've all fallen into sin in many ways, and that that sin is leading us to our own eternal death. But, Father, we thank you that you are so good, that you're willing to give us your righteousness so that we can enter your kingdom if we'll just turn from our sin and turn to you, and, which is called repentance, and turn to life by faith, for the righteous to live by faith. And, and Father, you have given a promise to each of us for that. And so today I pray that there are people here that are turning their hearts right now to you, being honest about their sin, whatever that may be, but turning to you and trusting in your righteousness and your goodness to save them. Father, may they commit to change their practice, to walk with you as their Lord and as their Savior. And Father, I know that you will bless them. Father, send the Holy Spirit to convict them to do that today because we are to flee from sexual immorality. We're not to play with it or test it. We are to run. We're to turn the other direction and run. And so, Father, I pray there's people in their hearts right now that are ready, that they're, they're turning in their hearts right now to you and, and they're calling to you and saying, save me, Lord, save me. Save me from my desire. Save me from my sin. Let them turn to you right now and find freedom and find peace find your love evermore. We won't have sex in heaven. We'll, we'll just, in heaven, we will, we will just be in joy and, and praise of you all the time. This sexing is a temporary thing, but our relationship with you is eternal. It goes on forever and ever. So, Father, let them run to you right now. Father, let them find joy and peace in your arms. Wipe away their sadness. Wipe away the hurts that may have caused them and entered them into sin. Father, do a healing, a mighty work in them today. You are the cure. 
Oh, Jesus, let them come to you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.